You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. <coughs> On today's program, one of the most well-known and respected Russian news analysts and financial analysts, as well as a, a social media personality, Slava Rabinovich, is returning to our program, and uh, I'm glad to have you here, Slava, so we could discuss the latest sanctions that are affecting Russian oligarchs. Um, I guess let's start with this. Do you feel do you feel <laughs> good? Uh, are you satisfied with these sanctions, or do you feel that they are not going far enough, or perhaps that it is too late? Yuri, I, I um, obviously cannot be happy about um, the sanction regime in respect to Russia. Uh, because what happened generally, or especially over the last four years, I would rather uh, not have any sanctions and Russia not uh, behaving um, uh, that way over, over the last four years. However, uh, since we live in the real world, uh, and uh, uh, whatever happened has already happened, uh, yes, I do believe that uh, the most recent sanctions which were announced last Friday are uh, um, effective and not only that, they probably are the most, um, how would I say, uh, this, this is like no man's world right now in respect to what has, to what has been announced because the sanctions were um, uh, implemented against, in, a, in addition to all, all of the rest of, um, of this list, they were announced against um, a, a few uh, wealthiest people in Russia and uh, s several of the wealthiest people in the world for that matter. Um, for example, Oleg Deripaska, Viktor Vexelberg, and um, Suleiman Kirimov, and uh, their companies have uh, been sanctioned as well. Um, the companies that, for example, in respect of Deripaska's uh, Rusal, uh, Rusal is uh, one of the largest aluminum companies in the world. Uh, its uh, aluminum output is approximately 7% uh, of the entire world aluminum. It is an uh, exporter of aluminum uh, into the U.S. Uh, uh, as well. Um, the, its shares are listed on uh, Hong Kong uh, Stock Exchange and uh, um, the IPO of Rusal uh, was, if I remember correctly, back in 2005 or 2006. Um, uh, then there is another company which is sanctioned also owned by Oleg Deripaska, which is called EN Plus, and only several months ago, uh, its IPO uh, took place on the London Stock Exchange. So we are talking about uh, uh, huge corporations that are very, very important uh, uh, players on, on, in the world commodity market, for example, in respect to aluminum. Um, and they are public companies. They have uh, 
Um, shares uh, listed and traded. Um, uh, there are foreign investors among their shareholders. There are foreigners on their boards of directors. They uh, ship, they sell aluminum to many, many countries in the world, including the U.S. All of that is, is now under sanctions. And um, um, as we know, uh, the U.S. sanctions uh, are ex-territorial, meaning that um, they are not only sanctioned in in the U.S. by the U.S., but um, the United States government is also warning uh, all third parties, including potential, you know, partners, bankers, uh, um, individuals, companies, partners, customers, uh, that uh, they cannot deal with uh, the com- with companies that are designated on uh, as as sanctioned on this so-called SDN uh, list. And so, um, over the last four years, in respect to Russia, we haven't seen um, such sanctions um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the, the members of the Russian Forbes list against uh, a few largest private and public companies in Russia. We are yet to see um, all the consequences um, in uh, in respect to the enforcement of the sanctions regime. Um, and uh, over the next uh, few weeks and months, we're going to see all these horror stories, uh, what's uh, going on with them and uh, with uh, potentially third parties that have been that are that that might maybe might be um, helping them to circumvent this the sanctions regime, or just to simply in respect to uh, their customers that uh, will be now uh, choosing between buying aluminum, for example, from Rusal uh, somewhere in China, or um, being also under a huge risk of U.S. sanctions. Uh, this will in turn uh, mean um, not only a huge hit to the Russian economy, it's also is going to have um, uh, a, a kind of the beginning of, of a probably total chaos, uh, total chaos within these companies for sure, potentially their bankruptcy, um, and probably... Uh, uh, significant chaos among uh, many other companies in Russia because there are, some of them are inter- interconnected in terms of um, technological kind of uh, chains, if you will. Uh, aluminum is not a, a, a raw material that you dig out of, of the earth. Aluminum is something that you actually make and uh, for that you have to have um, coking coal that you have to buy from somebody. Uh, you have to work with shipping companies. You know, <laughs> uh, this is this is a, a really complex uh, situation for many other companies that are not uh, under sanctions right now. 
And yet, in addition to all of that, um, there is a whole uh, sense of um, um, toxicity that uh, is increasing by the day. Russia became toxic back in 2014 with the beginning of of sanctions uh, first uh, as a response to the Russia's annexation of Crimea in March of 2014, then uh, in response to Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine and escalation of this conflict uh, um, in the east of Ukraine, uh, for which Russia, solely Russia, is responsible. And for the downing of the Malaysian uh, Boeing uh, of uh, um, uh, back in July of 2014, and uh, then we had several reiterations of further sanctions for this, this, and that, including the um, interference in, in the U.S. elections. So this toxic um, level. Uh, of Russia, its toxicity uh, initially was was kind of uh, was launched um, back in this in the spring of 2014, but it was going up um, over the years, and uh, and now it is going up exponentially with this kind of sanctions. So my feeling is that. Um, this kind of concrete wall uh, against which uh, the Russian economy will kill itself, um, it's actually coming closer and closer and closer. You're listening to Rashkin Report. This is Yuri Rashkin, and my guest today is uh, Slava Rabinovich, a news analyst, financial analyst, and I think an important uh, point here to make is that Slava is in Moscow, uh, Russia, and then we're speaking via Skype. Uh, Slava, uh, well, I guess first of all, uh, we perhaps interesting for the economic students who may be listening to this, when the country becomes as toxic as you've described, it stops inviting and being uh, an attractive target for long-term investment, but there's still short-term investment or speculation, essentially. But um, on a continuing with the oligarchs note, what kind of impact do you think this will have on them financially? And uh, considering how in the past uh, Putin has been alleviating their fears and worries by saying, don't worry, you're going to get uh, you know, more money from the state, from Russian state, uh, then do Russian taxpayers essentially have enough money to cover up the losses that these oligarchs are now going to suffer because of these sanctions. Yeah, indeed. Uh, when uh, several oligarchs um, were sanctioned uh, before, and these were mostly Putin's personal friends from his childhood, such as the Rottenberg brothers, Gennady um, Tsimchenko, um, and Yuriko Alchuk and several others, they were not happy with what has happened. And um, uh, Putin said, okay, I'm going to um, compensate everything. Um, and <laughs> this is indeed what happened uh, in the past. Uh, first of all, uh, a very, very cynical law was 
passed by the Russian um, puppet parliament, um, uh, puppet so-called parliament, uh, where uh, these oligarchs uh, were allowed to uh, essentially pay no taxes in Russia, and not only the law allowed them to do that uh, from that point on onwards, from the moment the, the, the law was effected, but actually retroactively um, uh, for several years back, such that the Russian budget actually um, paid them um, back whatever they already uh, paid in, in uh, the form of taxes over the last several years. It was just completely scandalous, most cynical thing that I've ever seen in this respect. And yet uh, the Russian public, they, you know, very few had an idea that they're actually paying for that. Um, besides that, uh, all of these oligarchs received uh, government and state contracts um, that allowed them to steal um, the money from, and we are talking about tens of billions of dollars in aggregate over the last several years, uh, with uh, you know the rate of stealing maybe more than half um, of of those amounts. So it, it sounds crazy to somebody who is not uh, following the Russian. Uh, real life, uh, so so to speak, uh, from in, the inside, but that's the way it is. And now, uh, I think that these new sanctioned people uh, can actually probably uh, expect that Putin will call uh, up uh, his puppet parliament and ask for something else. And I, I do not exclude, for example, that um, the Russian sovereign fund that was created during uh, the years of uh, high uh, oil prices, and uh, uh, it was actually created not by Putin and the remaining Putin's cronies, but uh, by uh, liberal um, economists and um, uh, the team of, of uh, liberals back then in the early years of Putin, uh, we, who were still uh, uh, in the government uh, as kind of remnants from the Yeltsin years, including, of course, the uh, finance minister, uh, Alexei Kudrin, uh, they created, and he created this uh, uh, Russian sovereign reserve fund, and Russian Sovereign Wealth Fund. Now, the Russian Sovereign Reserve Fund has already, um, uh, it's gone, it's all spent, uh, was all spent and it, it ceased to exist at the end of last year. So um, Russia under sanctions was digging and digging and digging into, uh, into this fund and it's over. Now there is a Russian sovereign fund remaining, and uh, um, these uh, sanctioned oligarchs 
are probably dreaming of uh, uh, dipping down into into the scoffers and uh, um, stealing money now via just a, a new uh, some what kind of puppet legislation uh, where they can compensate themselves uh, for uh, any and all losses incurred by these new sanctions. What has been the response from Russian taxpayers to this? Russian taxpayers are not uh, conscious taxpayers in the sense of uh, what you, you know, how, how... people understand themselves as taxpayers in the U.S., for example. Uh, in the U.S., you just pay your taxes, uh, and you know how much you paid, and you file your, your taxes, uh, tax returns yourself, and you you know that that much will come out of your pocket, and uh, that's how it's done. In Russia, uh, employers pay for the employees and so, in fact, employers are agents of uh, the uh, Russian equivalent of the IRS. And uh, so the um, uh, employees, who Russian citizens, they, they, they don't have this mindset of taxpayers. In addition to that, uh, over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, uh, there was a, a very targeted uh, television campaign to um, actually uh, make uh, the vast majority of the Russian population to turn it to turn it into into uh, really kind of uh, stupid kettle uh, into into some kind of a masses of the population with no political or any other consciousness. Um, As a result, most people cannot build um, uh, elementary, basic, basic um, causation um, um, kind of uh, chains or um, they, they, they cannot distinguish uh, what is the cause and, and effect? Uh, they have no clue, and uh, at some point they m- might uh, start uh, ha- having clue. Maybe when they will have a total ruin of their um, livelihoods and of their um, well-being of their um, households of, of their finance finances. Uh, when their refrigerator will be empty and there will be no money to fill it up, um, it, it's it's we are not here yet, but this may come. But we have no idea what would what would come first. Maybe there will be some kind of a palace coup before that, uh, and the change of of power and maybe change of the regime, uh, or there will be a total collapse in economy and. Uh, banking system and this will cause um, very uh, pronounced effect in the the, uh, household's uh, kind of consciousness in respect to who is at guilt and uh, 
whom we should blame for for it and uh, how to actually change this situation. So they may come to some kind of a political uh, political demands. But right now, if there are any demands uh, because of uh, environmental um, situation in the Moscow region because of um, huge uh, garbage mills um, or uh, disasters such as, as in Kemerva uh, a few weeks ago in respect to tens of people dying in a fire uh, in a um, in a shopping mall and uh, when people come out in the streets and um, for well, obviously your listeners pro- probably who follow Russia they know that uh, this freedom of coming out in the street and, and having holding a demonstration this uh, uh, freedom granted by the constitution has been largely taken away from the Russian people by uh, anti-constitutional laws and uh, uh, practices uh, of uh, Putin's police. And nevertheless, when they do come out, um, their demands are not political. Their demands are more kind of social or kind of the day-to-day um, um, like demands of, for example, um, Let's uh, um, close down this uh, uh, garbage spot that uh, um, makes our life so miserable here. But they do not understand that you know it's all interrelated, and, and they have this uh, bad smell and poisonous air, and uh, their children end up in hospitals with. Uh, um, massive poisoning uh, because there is nobody who is responsible for their well-being because their governor uh, is not uh, elected, uh, is appointed. Because their mayor is not elected, it's appointed. Because all of them uh, are uh, stealing because the uh, garbage trucks that... uh, um, take garbage away from Moscow to the Moscow region and these companies that do that they are controlled by uh, the son of the Russian prosecutor general um, and so they at some point have to come to realization that the whole system was built around uh, Putin uh, and his cronies such that the uh, state itself was dismantled and instead of this uh, dismantled by now state there is this um, um, mafia bandit neo-feudalism territory which is ruled by uh, by the uh, representatives of the most vicious um, organized crime group headed by Putin. 
And so, I, think, I think that is becoming uh, at least clear out in the West, which is a relief. Uh, you're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. My guest from Moscow via Skype is Slava Rabinovich, a news analyst, a financial analyst. Uh, Slava, one more question about the sanctions on oligarchs. What I'm trying to understand is uh, throughout Russian history, it seems that really change in government usually occurs because of a war or conflict with another state, not because people are just starving. Um, as Stalin pointed out at a famous, infamous banquet after World War II when he raised a glass to the endless patience of the Russian people. Um, do you feel that, you know, that, that there is a point at which Russian people will just you know, become overwhelmed? Or do you think that all of this, first of all, is uh, just driving uh, us closer to uh, international conflict? And that's what's going to change who is in charge in Kremlin. And and I guess I'll have one more question, so maybe oligarchs after that. You're asking uh, questions. They're very interesting, uh, these particular questions. But unfortunately, I don't have any particular uh, exact answer um, because the Russian state has been dismantled because there is n- there, there are no branches of power uh, which we can call real branches of power because uh, there is uh, also what is destroyed and uh, is the institution of elections the institution of, of peaceful uh, change of, of power um, uh, we don't know what what actually happened. Uh, it may be that uh, the concrete wall against which the Russian economy will kill itself uh, will um, cause the Russian population at large to uh, overthrow um, these gangsters from the Kremlin. Uh, but what would happen next and who was going to be a net-net beneficiary of this uh, uh, kind of people's revolution, if you will, uh, we, we don't know, because there are all, dem- all democratic institutions are, are destroyed. Um, we can, uh, uh, on the other hand, one can test, as you said, patience, but not of the people at large, but let's test the patience of the oligarchs. Let's test, test it further. You know, what's the patience of Deripaska Vexelberg and Kirimov at the moment, are they okay being under U.S. sanctions uh, together with their own companies? What about uh, Roman Abramovich in London, the owner of the Chelsea uh, soccer club and uh, uh, a happy owner of assets uh, uh, to the tune of, you know, over $10 billion um, who was allowed to uh, to um, bring most of these assets uh, to the UK and US and other jurisdictions. Um, you want to test his patience? You want to test the patience of um, tens uh, uh, or maybe hundreds of other people from, from the Russian Forbes list? Maybe that's the patience that, that the West has to test. Um, and and uh, the law in, in the U.S., uh, which was um, 
adopted uh, last year uh, actually does allow to do that. Um, the law, um, which is called countering uh, adversaries of the United States. And um, um, so I actually can, can imagine that there will be many more uh, uh, waves of the sanctions based on that law and based on that large, large potential list uh, that has been uh, announced several months ago, um, out of which uh, now uh, tens of people were actually sanctioned. Um, that's uh, so, so we actually don't know what would happen because the, all the mechanisms of prognosis and predictions uh, have been destroyed because the Russian state has been dismantled. Um, Slava, no. in, in, in respect, no. in, I'm sorry. In, in respect of of how of the of war of the war, um, I you know one can one probably would like to say no, it's um, too much of you know it, it's highly unlikely that. Anybody would think in these terms of actually ending the life on the on the planet, but uh, look, uh, over the last few years, Putin has done so many things that uh, before that uh, were considered to be unthinkable, including the war against Ukraine, the annexation of Crimea, the downing of the Boeing plane, you know, uh, the the attempted murder of. Uh, the uh, Skirpal's uh, family in the UK uh, via a massive uh, uh, chemical uh, warfare attack uh, in the country which is a member of G7 and a member of NATO. Um, and, um, you know, this is crazy, really. And uh, one can only guess what kind of crazy things uh, this guy and his cronies can come up with, including, of course, the use of uh, nuclear weapons if uh, if they are in, in the situation where they believe uh, they uh, they will be justified uh, uh, to in, in doing so. So I think that his removal from the Kremlin, um, by any means, is something that the world has to actually implement then the sooner the better uh, if somebody does not understand how dangerous this guy and his uh, cronies are. Slava, do you feel that uh, these sanctions can actually have the somewhat opposite effect of strengthening Putin because oligarchs are being weakened and uh, even though they might be getting more money from the Russian state, they are now uh, you know, going to have a harder time showing up in the West and they are going to be limited personally in different ways. So, is, and and uh, could this be actually benefiting Putin by allowing the power to be consolidated in his hands uh, and taking away power away from those oligarchs whose patience, like you said, is being tested? Yeah, of course, uh, the consolidation game that he has been playing, um, this game of, um, uh, you know, uh, fortress uh, under siege, 
and uh, the um, image of uh, animals. Uh, Russia barely has any friends except for North Korea, probably, and Iran by now. Everybody is an enemy, and so there is like a besieged fortress. And so consolidation around uh, uh, the leader, uh, around the uh, medieval chief uh, or whoever, uh, with the uh, uh, with nationalization of uh, the so-called elites. This probably there is some element to that, where the Western sanctions play into Putin's hands. Uh, as, as uh, somewhat serving his own purpose of this uh, consolidation. But at the same time, uh, we know that uh, regardless of this consolidation, potential consolidation, first of all, there will always be uh, very powerful and wealthy people who do not want to consolidate, they don't want to bring their capital back into Russia, and they don't want to be sanctioned. And at the same time, uh, all of these sanctions make Russia more and more and more toxic, such that uh, at some point it will bleed to death. Because when Russia is actually uh, completely losing um, international competition for the um, international investment capital, and when all of this investment capital is running out of Russia, um, the other way, uh, how how Russia can possibly continue with with its economy and its banking system? At some point, it will um, smash itself against this con concrete wall. And and uh, what's going on right now, regardless of uh, potential consolidation around Putin, is that uh, is that the whole thing brings this. Uh, economic and financial disaster closer and closer and closer. Um, but there is no way that we can actually uh, predict uh, when it will happen, how and what would happen next. The only thing that I can say that um, if you um, if you or your listeners have ever um, studied or at least read about uh, the so-called black swan theory uh, by Nassim Taleb and uh, widely uh, used and discussed, especially in the light of the 2008-2009 um, uh, global recession and um, the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers being one of those black swans that uh, um, happened and triggered uh, the most powerful um, economic and financial crisis um, globally, uh, which which happened uh, for the first time uh, in over 60 years uh, in terms of the global economic meltdown. Um, then, then we know that the whole world is prone to as I would call it, natural level of these black swans. So if this theory is uh, is out there and, and, and many people believe that this theory is, is actually 
um, uh, is kind of a uh, it 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 is present in our daily lives all across the globe in every single country uh, on predictable events that sometimes happen with unpredictable consequences and the combination of these unpredictable events can cause more uh, uh, events and more unpredictable consequences. However, Russia is prone to the same exact level of black, of so-called natural black swan, black swan kind of uh, level of, of threat um, as anywhere in the world. However, the Putin's regime, Putin himself and his, his friends, they themselves um, uh, represent a, a whole generator of black swans for themselves. So in addition to the natural, normal level of black swans around the world, uh, of which Russia is part and also has its own share of this natural, normal uh, level of black swans, it actually generating and generating and generating these black swans for themselves, with Putin being the operator of this generator. So this will blow up um, Russia in some shape or form uh, uh, much faster than one can think. Well, and dear listeners, should uh, there be a, a black swan in Russia, you can definitely hear all about it on Rashkin Report and uh, our, um, I think, frankly, outstanding guests, Slava Rabinovich, joining us from Moscow, among others. Uh, make sure to, of course, uh, listeners, once again, subscribe to Rashkin Report via on YouTube, uh, wherever you download podcasts. If you're listening to us on WSUW, keep on listening. Slava, thank you so much for your analysis. Uh, you know, I, I always feel like saying stay safe, but, you know, you're a smart person. You know what you need to do, I guess. And uh, we look forward to hearing your perspective as things develop, hopefully uh, safe for everyone in Russia. Well, thank you, Yuri. Thank you. Okay, you're listening to Rashkin Report.